Well, I'm, I'm Pastor Ben, and before I get into my sermon this morning, I do want to give you an update. If you were here last week, or if you were watching online last week, you know that I'm coming off the quarantine for COVID-19. My whole family got infected by COVID-19, so it's been quite a week for us. It forced us to miss vacation Bible school and be out of the office, so it's just kind of hectic. Uh, but of course, those things are irritants, but our big concern, of course, is my wife who's pregnant, and so that's a little bit scarier for us. The kids are doing great. Um, I had a sore throat for about a week and it finally went away about a day or two ago so I can talk and communicate this morning. Uh, my wife is still dealing with some pretty heavy fatigue and some symptoms. So I appreciate all the prayers. They have definitely helped, but you can continue praying for her. Uh, I was shocked this morning when she walked through the front door to join us for worship this morning. I did not anticipate that because a lot of her week has been having to sit down because of dizziness and fatigue and things like that. So obviously God is working and we are happy for that, uh, but I, would be great. It'd be great if you continue to pray for her, definitely throughout this week, and then I'll give you some personal updates as we, as we go on. Well, today we're going to continue our sermon series called House Rules, where we have been a- asking this big question, what are the rules for? What are the rules for? Because I think if we know what the rules are for, what God's rules are for, then not only will we accept them, but we'll learn to live within them because we'll see the value of them. So as we start this conversation today, I want to tell you something, a little trick I've learned about you. A little trick I've learned to figure out how old you are. In fact, I've honed this down that I can figure out how old you are, pretty close to how old you are, not based on how you look or how you sound or by asking you a bunch of questions about your childhood to figure out which historical time period that you grew up in. I simply will just ask one question. I will ask how do I get to your house? Or I'll ask you, how do I get to a different location? It doesn't really matter. As long as there's some distance between where we're at and where I need to go, if I ask you that question, I can pretty much narrow it down to how old you are based on your response. Now, this morning, I, I don't want you to raise your hand or, or stand up or anything like that. You can jab each other. I know that normally happens. That's fine. If you're watching a line, you, you go crazy. Do whatever you want to do. Jump up and down. Hey, that's me or whatever, it doesn't matter. I don't want to put you on the spot. I'm just going to walk you through the categories, okay? And what I want you to do is as you hear them and you think, oh, that's me, just go ahead and just drop yourself in there, okay? So if I were to ask you, how do I get to your home, would it sound like this? Would say, well, you just go south on Locust and you're going to see that old gas station, which is now a subway. And when you get there, you just go two miles as the crow flies. And then you're going to see this blue old tractor. It's broken down. Now it's a yard decoration. Take a left there. And then you're going to go all the way till you go to Sally's house. And and we know Sally, right? We all know Sally. When you get to Sally's house, we live right across the street from Sally's house. Maybe you'd describe it that way. Or maybe you might say something like this. You'd use all the road names, right? You're just going to go east on I-80 until you get to 39. Then you go north on 39, go to exit 15. Once you exit, you're going to go one mile, and then you're going to see our house. It's 403, right? House 403. And then when you get there, we have a three-car garage, and you'll know you've arrived, right? You're the type of person who loves to use all of the road names like we all know the road names, right? Or maybe you do this. You use all the road names, but then in the end, you say, but this is our home address. So you can put it into your Garmin or your TomTom, that thing that's glued to your windshield. But here's the thing. 
You can put it in, but it's not really reliable. So let me tell you the instructions again, right? We're going to go south on, on 39 and blah, 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 right? Maybe that's you. Or maybe you don't do any of those things. You just tell them your address and you wait for them to pull out their phone and then they punch in the address and as soon as it clicks through, you're like, okay, we're good. Just follow that and that's where I live. Or maybe you're in a different category and instead of that, you just simply say, okay, you wanna know where I live? You pull out your phone, you push two buttons and two seconds later, my phone is vibrating and it has all everything I need to get to your house. It's amazing. Now, if you're wondering what these things mean and what age categories they are, I'm not going to get into all that, but let me just give you the, the simplified version. The sooner that you heard your description, the older I'm assuming you are. Now, the later you heard your description, I'm assuming you are younger. Now, as someone who's almost 40, I've actually worked my way through a few of these categories myself and made my way through. So I, I've done the go to Sally's house, turn right, go to what used to be Casey's and now it's Senex, you know, this type of thing. I've done all that. I, I've even used MapQuest. Do you guys remember MapQuest? I don't know if anyone still uses that. You print out the step-by-step -step instructions. It's like turn left on Second Street, then go one mile, turn right. I, I used that one time to get a youth group. This is crazy. I, I used that to get a youth group all the way from Minnesota to San Francisco with just like binders of MapQuest instructions along the way. And we made it there safely and back. It was absolutely amazing. Now, as I've made my way through all these categories, I've landed firmly in the Waze category. I, I use my phone. I don't know if you guys use your phone, but use Google Maps or Waze. And so if I wanna know where your house is, I will simply ask you your address. You can tell me all the other details, but I'm not gonna listen. I'm just gonna punch in your address and I'm gonna go. And I love my Waze app because it gets me where I want to go. And plus, there's all these other really cool features. It will direct me around traffic. It will direct me around construction. It will tell me when there's stuff on the road to be avoided. And it will even tell me, even though I don't need this, it will even tell me if there's cops up ahead. Right? It does all these things. But there's one feature that I really love. The most important feature is when I take a wrong turn, or when I get off course, when I kind of zone out and I, and I miss something, it will redirect me in Morgan Freeman's voice. Now, I would love to mimic it, but I can't do it. But just imagine, right, this deep, rich voice saying, turn around when possible. Take the next right. You've gone the wrong way, right? And I love that. It guides me back exactly where I'm supposed to go. So today, as we explore this big question, what are the rules for, right? Why would God have all these house rules built into the scripture? What, what are they for? What do they offer me? We're going to see that God's house rules are not meant to control us, but to guide us back to freedom. You see, this is what the gospel of John says. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, if you've ever read through the book of Luke, you know that in the beginning of Luke, he explains to us that there were a lot of people in Christ's day that tried to give a detailed account of what Jesus did, which makes a lot of sense. Because if you lived when Jesus lived and watched his miracles and heard his teaching and saw the significant way that he had impacted the world and changed the world, 
you would want to write it down. But the problem was, in that day, it was incredibly expensive. It's not like they had computers where they could just type or they could tweet on their phones or, or do some other way to record this information. The option was to write it down, and it was expensive. So if you were going to write something down, it was going to cost you a lot of money. It better be something significant, which tells us a lot about Jesus and his impact. Because we had so many people recording what Jesus did, it shows that what he did had a significant impact. In fact, four of those you know very well, we call them the Gospels, the good news of Jesus Christ. Four eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did. The book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Matthew writes down his account, where Peter speaks into Mark's ear and, and Mark writes down for Peter the account where John writes down the account, where Luke does all this research, gets all the, the nitty-gritty details and writes down this account. But what's interesting about these gospel situations, because of course there would be with different people telling different stories at different times and things like that. But what's interesting is they all have a unique beginning. Whereas Matthew and Luke, well, they start at the beginning of Christ's earthly life, Mark decides to start at the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry. But John, well, John does something very different. He starts at the beginning of all things. Look at how he begins. He says, in the beginning, which is meant to draw us back to the book of Genesis, because how does the book of Genesis begin? It says, in the beginning, right? And John is doing this not by accident. This is so intentional and so important. What he's doing is he's taking the New Testament, he's taking the story of Jesus Christ, and he's connecting it to the Old Testament as one flowing storyline. You see, sometimes when we, when we get into the, the story of Christ, I think we get confused. We, we think that Jesus wasn't there at the beginning, like he wasn't infusing everything into the storyline. We think it worked kind of like this where God created the earth, God created the earth, and then Adam and Eve screwed up. And then God came to Jesus and said, okay, we, we've got a problem. We've got a problem, we've, we've got to fix this. And Jesus says, well, how are we gonna fix it? Well, you need to become a human. And Jesus says, how are we gonna do that? Well, you're gonna be born of a virgin. Okay, then what happens next? Well, I'm gonna give you three years to do ministry. You can teach, you can do miracles, you can do all that. Well, what happens after that? Well, you're going to die, and it's going to be bad. It's going to be graphic, but you're going to free the whole world. And we kind of think the story works like this. We forget that Jesus was there from the beginning. You see, Jesus was not a backup plan. Jesus was not a contingency plan. Jesus was always the plan. It wasn't like... God looked down and said, okay, we gave Adam and Eve one rule, they screwed up. Now we give them 10 rules in the 10 commandments. We thought they would get that, they screwed up. So we sent them the judges and the prophets. We sent them the, the temple priests and sacrifice. We thought they would get it and, and they screwed up. So Jesus, now you've got to come in and fix it, right? We're going to forget everything we did before. We're just going to scrap it. Obviously that didn't work. And now Jesus, you're going to come and fix this. But that's not the case. And that's why John says this, all things came into being through him. Without him, not one thing came into being. 
What has come into being in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. You see, John is pointing to three things already that are very significant. We say that Jesus is the Word, Jesus is God, and Jesus is also an active participant in the creation story, which means Jesus was not an afterthought like sometimes we think of him, like a contingency plan. He was always the plan. He was there from the beginning. He was setting the standards. He was setting the course. He was setting the house rules, which means from the very beginning, Jesus was There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. So John has now talked about the beginning of everything, and now he's talking about the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry. If you are here last week, you remember the story, right? There's John the Baptist, he's in the wilderness, He's by the Jordan River. He's baptizing people, and he's got this specific message. Repent, get ready, for the kingdom of God is near. In other words, repent, get ready, the king is going to come. And then as he's teaching this, the king shows up. And this is when John changes his message. Now it's the king is there. Follow the king. Don't worry about me. Trust the king. Don't worry about me. Hear the teachings of the king. Don't don't worry about me. Well, John, the writer of this book, continues. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Now, just imagine this. Just imagine this. You are there at the Jordan River. You're hearing the king is coming. Get ready, repent, turn from what you're doing and and go in this direction. What would you expect the king to want? Well, you would expect the king, when he shows up, to want what every other king seemed to have wanted. Power, authority, to turn the tables on whatever regime was there already. Right, to grow in popularity, to have more control. That's what you'd expect. You expect the king to make new laws to make sure that you did what he wanted you to do. That's what you would expect from the king. But instead, we see something very different about Jesus. Jesus had a different purpose. His purpose was to connect you into the royal family, to connect you to him through faith. This is what, this is what Jesus came to do. And this is shocking, but it shouldn't be because this has been the story from the beginning of everything. Think about Adam and Eve. God created the garden, this perfect place for Adam and Eve to connect with each other and him, right? To have that perfect relationship. Of course, we know that got blown up and and life goes on, but what does God do? He continually reaches out to his creation to connect with them, to connect with them, to connect with them. All the while, Satan is doing the exact opposite, right? He's trying to get us to disconnect with him. 
And so all throughout the story is this ongoing pursuit of God to connect with his people, to bring them into this family, this royal family. This is absolutely amazing. Well, John continues. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory is of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. So as we hear about Jesus inviting us into the family, we get this idea of the transformed heart that we talk about here at New Life. Right? This is where the Holy Spirit works, grabs a hold of our heart, draws us into the family, and we become one. We believe, we trust, we get baptized, we follow Jesus. Right? We become a part of the family. And sometimes we, we bind this false notion that that's all that God is offering. But there's so much more, right? There's the transformed life. Because if all Christ wanted to do was to steal you off to heaven to be a part of his family, well, you would just believe and, or be baptized or whatever, and then you'd be gone. But instead, you are here. You are here. And we see Jesus showing up once again. This time, this is the other beginning that we see in the book of Matthew and we see in the book of Luke. The beginning of Christ's earthly journey where not only did he live among us, but he showed us how to live, how to find that transformed life. And as he lived, he showed us God's glory. And what is God's glory here? It says the glory that we saw in Jesus' life was grace and truth. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, John explains. He says, John testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. You see, when Jesus showed up as the king and then behaved very differently than how they expected the king to behave, this was confusing to them. It's confusing, right? Jesus offered grace, not more rules to be followed, more control to be had. He offered grace. He would talk to people that no one was supposed to talk to. He healed people that no one wanted to touch. He forgave people caught in adultery. He healed on the Sabbath. He, he broke all the rules to offer grace to people. And this was very confusing. In fact, it was probably very maddening to some people because they were probably thinking, well, then what are the point of all the rules? Right? Why well, I've been following the rules so closely, if you're going to come up and just say, everyone's forgiven, right? Everyone, everyone's good. Now, of course, there's more to that story. But that's what it felt like to them. Well, John goes on to describe. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So John speaks into that tension of those who are thinking, well, what's the value of the law then? And the law is important because we all know Moses gave it to us. And Moses is a significant figure. In fact, he's one of the few people in the Bible who has this whole story told. So we get kind of the, the importance of Moses for, the, for us and for the Jewish people. And Moses, as you know, goes up the mountain. God gives him the law, and, and he comes down with these Ten Commandments. These were incredibly cherished and valued. And this is what the guiding light was for these people. And John says, yeah, they have value However, however, Jesus brought grace and truth. Grace and truth, truth and grace. You see, oftentimes we make a mistake here. What we do is we, we put these two ideas, this grace and truth, on these far sides of the equation. 
and we separate them, and we live in one space or the other. Maybe we live in the truth space, and we think of God's rules, God's house rules, the way he wants us to live, and the law, right, his truth. We, we look at it over here, and we live in this space. And if we live only in the true space, this is where we get, this is what results. We either are very depressed all the time, or we're very arrogant all the time. You see, when we look at the rules that God gives us, and we think, okay, well, I know I don't add up. I know I can't add up. Then we just feel bad about ourselves, right? There's no solution in that space. Or sometimes what we do is we, we look at the rules and we use them as a litmus test to test people and to look at people differently. And we do this. Well, I didn't cheat on my taxes. I mean, I kind of eh, took some liberties, but they got caught in fraud. So I'm better than them. I'm not the best husband, but I've never committed adultery. And we always compare ourselves to others, of course, who are doing worse than us. And then we feel better about ourselves and we think we have accomplished the law, right? We live in that truth space primarily or only. This is what the Pharisees did, right? They were good because compared to everyone else, they were good, right? They followed the rules. And we do damage if we only live in that space. Now, if we move over into the grace only category, it sounds a little bit something like this. Well, God will just forgive whatever, right? God's gonna forgive everyone. We don't have to worry about it. Just do whatever you wanna do. And it's true that God can forgive any sin if you are repentant, but it doesn't mean that we just do whatever we wanna do. In fact, even if we are repentant and we do whatever we wanna do, just thinking, well, God will forgive me, we still run into problems, don't we? Because there's natural consequences of the sin that we live in. Well, I'm gonna sin, but I know God will forgive me. So I'm just gonna do this over and over again, and then I'll come back and I'll receive God's forgiveness. What happens is we pay the stupid tax for doing all the dumb things that we did over here, don't we? Because they follow us around. What happens in Vegas does not actually stay in Vegas, right? It follows us back. And we deal with that, those things in our lives. This is what happens when we live in the grace-only category. But I believe there's actually something worse that happens when we live in this space. When we live in the grace-only category, I think not only do we say, we think, well, God will forgive me, God will forgive me, God will forgive me. I think sometimes we get so caught up in what we want to do over here that we completely forget about God completely. And then we just do whatever we want, period. But when Jesus came, he brought these two sides together in perfect harmony. And you might be thinking, well, how in the world is that even possible, right? How, how do these two work together? They seem so opposite. How does truth and grace work? How do they hold hands? Well, in Jesus, they did. They perfectly held hands. We see the truth. We look at the laws. We realize we do not add up. We are not perfect, which means we need Jesus. That's where grace comes in. Jesus died on the cross for our sins to forgive us and restore us because we couldn't add up but only he could add up. And then he fuses the two things together. And then what he does is he points us in the proper direction because now we are children of the king. And the king wants us to have an abundant life. He wants to guide us in the direction that we should go. And so when we get off course, he calls us back. When we go in the wrong direction, when we kind of lose sight of what we're shooting to do, he, he calls us back and points us back. 
So what does this look like? How does this happen? Well, in order for this to happen, we have to have two components in our lives. Really, we must do two things. We must trust and follow. Trust and follow. You see, the purpose of God's law is not to control us, but to guide us back to where he wants us to go. Like a good GPS, when we get off course, when we take the wrong turn, when we miss that turn, whatever it is, there's the voice of God, which in every movie sounds like Morgan Freeman, right? He says, turn around when possible. Take your next exit. I want you to go in this direction. And this is the beauty and the power of God's house rules. They're not there to control us. They're there to set us free once again.